Dorothy told me she had heard the tale of the specter child when she first came to Furnival Manor. I heard the story from an old neighbor after we just married. The tale might not be true, or it might, I don't know. The old lord, the one we think plays the organ, was Miss Grace's father. Grace did not seek to inherit the house back then. It was Maud as the eldest sister who would inherit the title and the house. The old lord was a proud man. Remember, my dears, we are Furnival. And his daughters were exactly like him. No one was good enough to wed them, for they were the great beauties of their day. And, and you, my dears, are deserving of only the best. But pride will have a fall, and these two beauties fell in love with the same man, and he, no better than a foreign musician, whom their father had down from London to play music with him at the manor house. The old lord was mad after music, and this foreign gentleman got such a hold over him that he paid him every summer to come and play with him. And it was he, this musician, that had the great organ brought from Holland and taught the old lord to play on it. But many and many a time when the old lord was thinking of nothing but his fine organ, the foreigner was walking abroad in the woods with one of his daughters, now Miss Maud, then Miss Grace. But it was Miss Maud who won the day and carried off the prize, such as it was, and he and she were married all unknown to anyone except her mother. And before he had made his next yearly visit... She had been confined of a little girl at a farmhouse on the moors while her father and Miss Grace thought she was away at Doncaster races. But even though she was now a wife and a mother, she was not a bit softened, but as haughty and passionate as ever, for she was jealous of Miss Grace to whom her foreign husband paid a great deal of court. I know you were with her. I saw you both. But surely you can't expect me to ignore her. She would grow suspicious. I expect you not to follow her, though. But my darling, you're si- There's nothing between us. She's simply blinded by my music. To the devil with your music! Ah, oh, my fiery wife, how you tempt me. Why? But Miss Grace triumphed over Miss Maud, and Miss Maud grew fiercer and fiercer, both with her husband and her sister. You have no hold over him, Maud. He is free to love whomever he pleases. Ah! And the musician, who could easily shake off what was disagreeable and hide himself in foreign countries, went away for a month before his usual time that summer and half-threatened that he would never come back again. Meanwhile, the little girl was left at a distant farmhouse, and her mother would have her horse saddled and gallop wildly over the hills to see her once every week, at the very least, for she loved where she loved and she hated where she hated. And the old lord went on playing, playing on his organ, and the servants thought the sweet music he made soothed his awful temper. He grew infirm, too, and had to walk with a crutch. And Miss Maud and Miss Grace grew colder and bitterer towards each other until at the very last they hardly ever spoke. The foreign musician came again next summer, but it was for the last time, or they led him such a life with their jealousy and their passions that he grew weary and went away and never was heard of again. When the next summer passed over and the foreigner never came, both Miss Maud and Miss Grace grew gloomy and sad. As for the old lord, he grew more and more infirm and more than ever carried away by his music. His two daughters decided to live almost entirely apart, Miss Grace on the west side and Miss Maud on the east, and Miss Maud thought she might now, at last, have her little girl with her, and no one need ever know 
except those who dared not speak about it and were bound to believe that it was, as she said, a cottager's child whom she had taken a fancy to. Meanwhile, Miss Grace lived with her maid, Miss Stark, who, even then, was more of a friend to her than her sister had ever been. In fact, whenever they did cross paths, in the kitchen or in the courtyard, Miss Maud had taken to taunting Miss Grace about the past. So, dish sister, I received a letter yesterday. You received no such letter. He used to send me letters all the time. Did you receive letters? He didn't have to. He said I would always be in his heart and I was never to forget. Oh, he was just filling your head with soft nonsense. He knew how much you doted on him. Me? It was you whom he pretended to love. He told me so. In fact... Oh, you might as well know. We were married. He was my husband. I was told the color left Miss Grace's cheek and lips that very day forever. That humiliated And she was heard to say many a time that sooner or later she would have her revenge. She will soon see that I am not one to toy with. And Mrs. Stark was forever spying about the East Rooms. And one day she saw the child. So Miss Grace took her revenge. She told the old lord that her sister had disgraced herself and the family by eloping with the musician and bearing a child. lying to us for the past five years. And one fearful night, just after the new year had come in, when the snow was lying thick and deep, and the flakes still falling, fast enough to blind anyone who might be out and abroad, he turned them both out of doors, Miss Maud and the child, and told all the servants that if they ever gave them help, or food, or shelter, he would cast them out, too. And all the while, Miss Grace stood by him, white and still as a stone. And on the morrow of that cold and fearful night, two shepherds, coming down the fell side, found Miss Maud sitting, all crazy and smiling, under the holly trees, nursing a dead child. The frost and cold had killed the poor dear. And now you know all. And I wonder if you are less frightened now? But I was more frightened than ever. I wished Miss Rosamond and myself well out of that dreadful house forever. I watched her and guarded her. We bolted the doors and shut the window shutters fast. And not all we could do or say could keep her from wanting to go to her and let her in from the cruel wind and snow. One night, just after New Year's Day and the long winter had taken a turn at last, as I had hoped, I heard the west drawing bell ring three times, which was the signal for me. Miss Rosamond was asleep, but I would not leave her alone, for I feared my darling should waken to hear the spectre child. See her, I knew she could not, for I had fastened the windows too well for that. So I took my darling out of bed, wrapped her in her outer clothes as were most handy, and carried her down to the drawing room where the old ladies sat at their tapestry work, as usual. Why did you bring Miss Rosamond out of her warm bed? Because I was afraid of her being tempted out while I was away by that wild child in the snow. Please, please, Hester, no more talk of this. Miss Fernal and I would like you to undo some work on the tapestry. We did it wrong, but neither of us can see to unpick it. Our eyes are not strong. And as she spoke, all the while she glanced at Miss Furnival, worried. So I laid my pretty dear on the sofa and sat down on the stool beside them, hardening my heart against them as I heard the wind rising and howling. Miss Rosamond slept on sound, and Miss Furnival never said a word nor looked round when the gusts shook the windows. 
Then all at once Miss Furnival rose from her chair and put up one hand as if to bid us listen. I hear voices. I hear terrible screams. I hear my father's voice. Then my darling woke with a sudden start. My little girl's crying. And she died to get up and go to her. But she got her feet entailed in the blanket, and I caught her up, for my flesh had begun to creep at these noises, which they heard while we could catch no sound. But then, after a minute or two, the noises came and gathered fast and filled our ears too. We heard voices and screams, and no longer heard the winter's wind that raged abroad. Mrs. Stark looked at me, and I at her, but we dared not speak. Suddenly, Miss Furnival went towards the door out into the antechamber. Mrs. Stark followed, and I durst not be left, though my heart almost stopped beating for fear. I wrapped my darling tight in my arms and went out with them. They went through the west lobby and opened the door into the great hall. In the halls, the screams were louder than ever. They seemed to come from the east wing. Then I noticed the great chandelier seemed all alit, though the hall was dim, and that a fire was blazing in the large fireplace, though it gave no heat, and I shuddered with terror and folded my darling closer to me. But as I did so, the east door shook, and she struggled to get Sister, free from me. I must go. My little girl is there. I hear her. She's coming. I held her with all my strength. If I had died, my hands would have grasped her still. I was so resolved in my mind. Miss Furnival stood there, listening, and paid no regard to my darling, who had got down to the ground, and who I, upon my knees now, was holding with both my arms clasped around her neck, she still striving and crying to get free. All at once the east door gave way with a thundering crash, and there came into that broad and mysterious light the figure of a tall old man, with grey hair and gleaming eyes. He drove before him with many a relentless gesture of abhorrence a stern and beautiful woman, with a little child clinging to her dress. Hester, it's the lady, the lady below the holly trees, and my little girl's with her. She was almost convulsed by her efforts to get away. Hester, let me go to her. They are drawing me to them. I feel them. I must go. I held tighter and tighter, till I feared I should do her a hurt rather than let her go toward those terrible phantoms. They passed along towards the great hall where the winds howled and ravened for their prey. But before they reached that, the woman defied the old man with a fierce and loud defiance. And then she shrunk and withered, threw up her arms wild and pitiless to save her child, her little child, from the old man's uplift crutch. And just at this moment... When the tall old man, his hair streaming as in the blast of a furnace, was going to strike the little child, old Miss Furnival cried out, Oh, father, father, spare the little innocent child. But just then I saw, we all saw, another phantom shape itself and grow clear out of the blue and misty light that filled the hall. We had not seen her until now, for it was another lady who stood by the old man, with a look of relentless hate and triumphant scorn, that figure was very beautiful to look upon, with a soft white hat drawn over the proud brows and a red and curling lip. It was dressed in an open robe of blue satin, and it was the likeness of Miss Furnival in her youth. Please, no, stop! Despite old Miss Furnival's wild entreaty now, the terrible phantoms moved on and the uplifted crutch fell on the right shoulder of the little child. 
and the younger sister looked on, stony and deadly serene. But just at that moment, the dim light and the fire that gave no heat went out of themselves. Miss Furnival crumbled to the ground. Grace, my poor... Miss Furnival lay on the floor, her face death-stricken. Carry her to her room. She needs rest. All she needs is rest. Yes, Miss Furnival was carried to her room that night, never to rise again. She lay with her face to the wall, muttering low, but muttering always. Alas, alas, what is done in youth can never be undone in age. What is done in youth can never be undone in age. That was the conclusion of The Nurse's Tale. If you've enjoyed this program and would like to hear more new audio drama, go to www.theheappodcast.com.